0: he will either love one or hate the other. He didn't say you can't serve God and Satan. Um, he said you can't serve God and money. Um, so our darkness is just as much here. It's just different. Um, and our cities still need the Lord. Um, as I thought about it, you know, Lord, what would you have? Like Like I pretty much have one real job in this environment. It's like, that's like the, my main gig. And that's teaching the word. I mean, when I look to acts and, and the early church like my gig was that's kind of it is to do it and to do it right to do it well and to, to to listen to the Lord um and so when you're praying for me if anything else you want to pray for just pray that that I'll always listen to the voice of the <sighs> Lord as to what he would say regarding his word for us um because everything will flow from that but what I, I thought you know what better thing you know I wanted to go Romans because it's more fun for me. It's theological, and I can get a whiteboard out and have fun. Um, but what's happening here is in Conduit Church, in Journey Church, in New River Church, in whatever places we've come from, is that God is starting a a movement. Um, he's uncovering a movement that's already existed for years of people that felt like there's got to be more than this. And, and every, you know, it's just like a... If you've got a a jar of Snapple, if you leave it set on the counter and you let it sit still, eventually you need to kind of shake it up a little bit because it all settles to the bottom, the good stuff does. So sometimes God needs to just shake us up a little bit and let the Snapple, um, you know, the good stuff rise up. So that's sort of been happening in our world. He's been shaking us up a little bit. certainly shaking me up. And I know with many of your individual stories, he's shaking you up. This is what he did in the book of Acts is it's God's shaking up of the Snapple. This book is a recording of a movement that happened that started with less than 200, dare I say, redneck, backwater, backtown, Galilee guys that were normal people like us. There wasn't a famous one among them. There wasn't a rich one. There wasn't a powerful one. It was just people like us, like normal people. I always love that, you know, there's these guys, and especially here in Nashville, that uh, I want to go to Nashville so I can reach famous people because then they can reach way more people. It's the exact antithesis of the way God did it. He loves it when people like us do it because then he gets all the glory. Because quite honestly, I'm a white trash kid from Nebraska that grew up on welfare. You know, we had nothing. And, and so for God to take me, I mean, I swear, if you go and see the house that I grew up in, you'd be like, <laughs> Really? And it's not that I've done great or amazing things, but it's just God took that uh, this kid that had no business doing anything, but staying in this little teeny tiny town for the rest of my life, working in the in the in the uh, bean fields, um, and said so that's one that I can get some glory out of because there's no he's got no other right to do this, and I got no problem with it. I used to, but then I realized, no, yeah, this is pretty much God's story living through me. For him to take this little nickel and dime operation of conduit church, okay, which we don't have, we got nothing. We got no building. We got nothing. And God says, that's perfect, I'll take it. Because at the end of the day, this is a book of Acts, not about buildings. People don't die for buildings. They die for a cause. They die for the truth. They live for that. They don't live for rules and regulations and policies and procedures and systems. They live for a cause, and they'll die for a cause. And that's what this story was. You'll not see one building program in this entire book. You'll not see one uh, religious Uh, institution being installed, you won't see a seminary be started. You'll see a group of guys that, that were normal Galilee little town people blow up the world, turn it upside down, or in this case, right side up because it was upside down for the Lord. This is a book that for me personally is both encouraging and frustrating simultaneously. It's encouraging because you can look at it and say, When I look at the Gospels and I look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I see how Jesus did it. I see what Jesus did and how it looked if Jesus were walking on the earth, what it looked like. But when I look at the book of Acts, I say, okay, but this is what it looks like when you and I are doing it. Because Jesus is gone. He flies off in a little bit like Superman, and then here we are. How does that look Now, what does that look like? And so that's exciting because it looks individually and corporately. This is how it works. It's also the frustrating part because I see how it could work. And then I look around us and say, man, we've really not done a very good job of this. And and, and I say that and then I I, obviously I'm talking specifically about America because I'm telling you what you go to Haiti, you go to Indonesia, you go to China, you go to South America, Central America. And I mean the church is alive and well, and they are living the book of Acts every day. So the frustrating part returns to being encouraging because it it actually, this this is it. This was the instruction book for us of how we can live today. And I would have rather, personally, that he would have written it in a formula. Plug in these things right here, and then this will happen. You know, do these 10 easy steps, and then this will happen. You'll blow up the church. But he didn't. I'll, I see principles and I see pictures and I see things of how it happened. And I think that the reason he did that, I know the reason he did that was because me, maybe you, I'd personally, I'd become a servant to the formula. I wouldn't be serving God. I'd be serving the formula. And it's almost like him saying, yeah, conduit, you guys are going to see principles and pictures and things of how it can be. But for me, how it's going to work out individually, Applying it to conduit, applying it to your lives individually, see me for the details. That's we still have to rely on the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is the Father, the Holy Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have to still to this day rely on the Spirit. And that's what this book shows us that they did. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but they didn't have the Bible yet. They were the Bible. They were they were living it out. They didn't have that to rely on. They had to rely on the Holy Spirit. So God, in his mercy, gave us this book, breathed it, wrote it, that we have something to rely on. But ultimately, we're relying on him leading us. We can confirm it. Like if God tells us to go out and to build a compound and bury weapons, we can look to the word and say, no, that's not in there. So I know that's not the Lord, right? But this becomes our guiding principles in that. But the Holy Spirit is still what's going to lead us um, in this thing. So to that end, Acts chapter one, verse one, in my former book, Theophilus, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I was almost named Theophilus. No. Theo. It's here. I was um, Theo. was born in a little backwoods hospital. Uh, my mother was recovering from the tragedy uh, the, of me being born. The uh, It wasn't a the tragedy, the, the experience, the, tragedy. the trauma, that's the word, the tra- of, of me. Tra- and, tra- <laughs> and that was in a day when... We can edit that out. That was a day when, uh, when the dads weren't encouraged to be in the room with the babies. The dad was probably out in, in the lobby sipping gin or something, I don't know. Um, and uh, so she's in there, and the doctor comes out, and he, you know, Mr. Tyler, what would you like to put down for the name? And uh, dad said, I, I don't really know. We haven't really thought about that. And the doctor, uh, being a student of theology, suggested Theophilus to him. And uh, he said, Theophilus? <laughs> And the doctor said, yeah, because that's the awfulest looking baby I've ever seen. I'm sorry. sorry. That's. (laughs) I apologize. That's not true. That's not true. That's the only reason why you went there. That's just not true. (laughs) It's the only reason why you study that is yeah. chapter one, verse one. Yeah, now, now turn to Romans. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Finally! Turns <laughs> out it wasn't Yeah, now turn to the book of Romans. No, oh. you're taking a drug that has the same name. Theophilus. It's like caffeine and a big seal. Enjoy it. It babies to keep their heart beating. Theophilus. I've got a drip at that at home. Theophilus is a name that means friend of God or lover of God. (coughs) Theologians, historians have all asked the question, who is Theophilus? And they have some little, they have interesting theories as to who he is, but nobody really knows. Um, What they really think is that, you know, what they're pretty sure of is that whoever he is, he was Luke's former slave owner. Luke was a doctor. Now in our day and age, Dr. You think I want to be a doctor so I can get a Porsche. In this day, in this society, doctors were actually, believe it or not, slaves. They weren't well paid. And if you were a loaded guy and you were rich, you had in your cadre of slaves, you had a doctor. Think about that for a minute, because what did Jesus say that he was? He is the great physician. That that You don't send the doctor to the well, you send them to the sick. Today, of course, that actually has full application in our world because doctor does bring medicine and healing. But in this society, they were servants <coughs> and that brought health, servants that brought healing, not rich and powerful people. He was a Luke. We know is a doctor. We know he's well educated. We know he was a Gentile. Which, if you haven't been around the Bible, that is a not a Jew. Um, just go to the Adam Sandler song, uh, the Jew song, and he's not a Jew. Um, so. He is, we know that, he's educated by his language, the way he writes, that he was very educated. And so the theory is, one that I, that I love and hope is true, but we'll find out someday, is that his Theophilus is actually a code name, that it's not a real name. Um, that it's a guy that was a uh, Titus Flavius Clemens, I'm almost positive that's who it is. Um, one who was a cousin of the Roman emperor at the time, who was his owner, and they say this because this was a guy that had converted to Christianity, and so. but they were saying that this was a guy that when Luke was given freedom after the gospel was preached to this Flavius Clemens guy, that this was his report back to his former owner out of respect to him of what he had seen. The book of Luke and the book of Acts are both those. All that aside, here's the best part to me. Luke didn't sit down, in my knowledge, and think, today I will write the Bible. I, he's not sitting down saying, I am writing a blog. I am writing a book, and I'm going to get a deal with Thomas Nelson. He sat down and wrote a letter to one guy. That was it. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, these words came out of him. But my, I guess what challenges me individually is would I give this much attention to one person I mean, sure, if I'm going to write a blog and I know hundreds of people are going to read it, yeah, then I'll do it. But if it's one person, what would I be willing to do to present the gospel to one person? What kind of energy and time? Because keeping in mind, he wasn't typing it. He, wasn't, he didn't have a word processor with word check. This was a straight up, break out the, the feather quill, whatever, and write it with ink and dip and the whole thing. This was a painstaking process for one person. And to me, what that says to us as a church is, We might be small, but man, God can do mighty things for us. What if our story is that we never blow up into some big church, but we're starting a movement that our grandkids blow up a movement with? What if we're just writing a letter to one person that later becomes the Bible? We don't know. What we do know is that we got to do what God is calling us to do right in front of us and let him figure out the rest. Because let me tell you what, just for Theophilus alone, this was a communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my former book, Theophilus, this is the sequel to Luke. Luke, Star Wars, Acts, Empire Strikes Back. Okay, this is the sequel. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. If you're a Bible underliner, asterisk, star, you should have the word began underlined. This is what Jesus began to do. He began to teach. He began to heal. He began to feed the hungry. He began to love, to present the gospel. You and I are continuing what Jesus started to do. He began. In fact, hold your finger there in Acts and go with me to John 14. Because Jesus... gave a promise to his disciples. These are the guys that are sitting around the fire here in a minute, eating with him, but this is the beginning of that promise. This is what Jesus began to do. John 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. It's probably important because, you know, a lot of preachers, not me, but others, tend to exaggerate their stories (laughs) to get a good effect out of it. You know, the old saying, uh, stretch the story, give God the glory. Um, the, the, i don't know if you've ever heard that but they teach that in seminary um, but jesus is basically saying look what i'm about to say is ridiculous but i want you to know that it is true i tell you the truth anyone who has faith in me will do what i have been doing but jesus you were healing people Jesus, you walked on water. Jesus, you fed hungry people. Yes, those things that I have been doing, you will do, and listen to this, this is the, and i tell you the truth. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. He was saying to them, saying to us, these things that I did, you'll do and greater things. I used to struggle with that. How is that possible? But think about it like this. with When Jesus was on earth, if you wanted to get to Jesus, you had to stand in line. You had to bust through the crowd. You had to break through the roof of your neighbor's house to get to Jesus. He was God, 100% God and 100% man, And he was one dude. You had to take a number and step aside. Wait for your order to be cooked. Because he was the God-man in one. And what he is saying here, greater things so you do, is that in this room right here, there's about 25, 20 of us. There are 20 of us that are individually and corporately the body of Christ. There isn't just one Jesus walking around on the earth right now. There are tens of us. There are hundreds of us. There are thousands, millions of Jesus' head and us being his body. We're the body. We are, and I'd be careful because I'm not trying to suggest that we're little gods, okay? I'm suggesting to you that when Jesus moves through us, that there are millions of us. Jesus fed 5,000 people that were hungry in one day. We're feeding hundreds of millions of them around the world today as the body of Christ. We are Seeing And again, we don't see a lot of it here in the States, but let me tell you what, when when you get into these Muslim nations or African nations and the preacher says, is anybody sick among you come to me? I mean, these people are, things are falling off of them. They're walking out of wheelchairs because God is healing them in their environment. And there are hundreds of thousands, dare I say millions of them all around the world today. Greater things can you do, will you do than what I did? Because you love me. And he says, and this is a, the verse that is so taken out of context. I've taken it out of context half my life. He says, ask anything. says, whatever you ask, verse 13, in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That does not mean I ask for a hummer, and he will give me one. When you see the name, the name, ask in my name, think of it as nature. In my nature, what is, I say Greg Swinford, we know Greg, you know his nature. You know what's in his nature if you know him. And I say his name and it evokes that, you know it. When I say in Jesus' name, it's not just a tagline. It isn't just a, you know, hocus pocus, presto. I'm asking in his nature. Is it in Jesus' nature if we ask him that we could spread the gospel in the community around us? That's in his nature. Is it in his nature that we want to, Go and feed these children in Haiti and bring them up in the gospel that they could become nation changers. Yeah, that's in his nature. Ask anything that is in my nature and I will give it to you that the son may bring glory to the father. As conduit church, we're going to ask him to do some ridiculous things and those things that are in his nature, he will say yes to and he will get the glory, not us. Meanwhile, back in book of Acts, by the way, we're not going to get through uh, chapter 3 today, if you wonder. Verse 2. Um, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, to Mary Magdalene, to the women at the tomb to the disciples in the upper room, to Thomas. 1 Corinthians 15, I think 16 says that he appeared to 500 different people. He was alive and well. Not like Buddha, not like any other god out there, not the voodoo gods. He is alive, appeared unto them, so much so that, I mean, think about it, and you hear these people, these apologetics guys, but I wouldn't die for a, for a fake thing, for a lie thing, right? Like if, if I was faking this thing and I wanted to start this movement, you know, you'd, you'd strap me down and, and offer to, you know, slice me in half sideways. I might come clean with you. Mm. Right? So people that think that these disciples didn't see something that was convincing do not know human nature. Maybe one of them, maybe two, but 12, a few hundred. What about 7 million of them? Because that's how many died in the first century A.D. That's what historians teach us. 7 million Christians were martyred for the faith. Put that in perspective. Today, 6 billion people on the face of the earth. Then, 70 million people. 10% of the earth's population at the time died for the cause of Christ, for this cause. Not the buildings, not the programs, not the religion, but the gospel of Jesus Christ that he'd come to restore us to him. They died for that because they knew it was true. If that were today, that'd be 600 million people. The pop 10% prospectively, died for that cause. He gave them many signs, many proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I saw a great quote from a guy the other day that I'm going to botch it, but we, we, we speak so much of salvation and not enough about the kingdom so that we have a bunch of people that are saved but not enough servants that are serving the king, serving the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time. On one occasion, he was eating with them. See, it's biblical that we come together and eat breakfast casserole because Jesus was eating with them. And he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift My father promised which you have heard me speak about. We just read about it in John chapter 14, the promise that was to come. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And at this moment, Jesus is introducing a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you're a note taker or a mental thought guy, the first relationship that he introduced with the Spirit is that the Spirit will convict the world of sin. When you, when you got saved, when you came to Christ, the spirit was what drew you to him. The spirit, the Genesis 6 tells us, won't, God says, my spirit won't always strive with men. And you can, as a, as a person who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, he's so infinitely patient and merciful, but you can at some point reject him for the last time to where his spirit no longer strives with you. And if his spirit is not calling you, you are not getting saved. I mean, it is as simple as that. My spirit will not always strive with you. The spirit around us striving, and he's in the world right now, convicting them of their sins, drawing them to Christ, not forcing them, drawing them to Christ. The spirit with you. In John 20, 21, Jesus looks to his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. It's John 20, 21. And let me tell you what, when Jesus be breathing on you and says that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, You receive it. So now the spirit isn't just around them. As believers, the price had been paid at that point. The the cross, uh, he had risen from the dead. And the spirit not only was around them, but now in them. And the Greek word there is en, en, and it means in. Like you put something in the Tupperware, it is in. The spirit is in you. And this moment, Jesus is describing a subsequent, experience, because these guys, they had the Holy Spirit in them. Now it becomes a difference between them having the Spirit and the Spirit having them. This is a straight up baptism washed in the Holy Spirit on top of them. That's what he's talking about. And he says here, he said to them, they said in verse six, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates, the father has set by his own authority. By the way, that's a great reminder for all of us. It's not for you to know sometimes. There are things I really want to know, and I really think I deserve to know, and there are just some things that we have to look to the Father and say, it is not for me to know. Now understand this, God is not some big cosmic buzzkill trying to hold information just to, to make you to, you know submit to him. I've said it before, but it's like with Ethan, sometimes it's okay to have candy. Sometimes it's not. It's not for him to know the day or the hour, okay? He has to trust Daddy. Now, the truth is, is I can explain to Ethan all day long why he can't have candy for breakfast. I can put a whiteboard up. I can give a logical discourse on it. I can explain it. And at the end of the day, it's not for him to know because his brain is not wired that way yet. It just isn't. So it isn't the statement, the experience of it's not for you to know is it? you know, like my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Young, said, it's not for you to reason why. For you, it's to do or die. Um, <laughs> it, isn't that, it isn't like Mrs. Young lording it over me. It's Ethan. He just doesn't understand it. It's not for him to know. He can't know. There are things in our, this life that God would love to tell us. I'm convinced of it. But I, my mind is not wired yet to get it. He says that his thoughts are not my thoughts. His, his ways are above my ways. Right. Now, there is coming a day, Paul tells us in Corinthians, that I will know. You'll know. It says, I will fully know as I am fully known. And I believe that we'll spend a million years of eternity just going, oh, that's what that was about. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And what, when he talks about this, we're going to be around the thrones and righteous and true are your judgments. I think that's what it's going to be. Us going, oh, that was awesome. God, you are awesome. Right on. That's, that's the NIV for righteous and true. Right on. God, you got it. <laughs> We'll get it someday, but for now, that's faith. That's where our faith comes in. God, I don't get it. I don't understand why that earthquake in Haiti happened. It's not for me to know, but someday I'll know, and I'll be like, oh. So it's not for you to know the day and the hour, but look at this. Here's what it is for you to know. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, look, you're not going to know this other stuff, but here's what you are going to know. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he said in John. I'm coming, and I'm bringing, uh, is in the words of, uh, well, I can't say that. Never mind, it's a movie quote. Um, he's coming, <laughs> and he's going to bring the big guns with us. It's the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll, be, you'll have the power to be my witnesses Look what he didn't say. You'll have the power to go out and witness, to go witnessing. He so said, you'll have the power to be you who you are, your life, you going through this trial and tribulation, but you came out on top of it. That's my witness. You are my witness there. You are going to be my witness when you go to Haiti. Look, I, I could say that, look, if someone offered to chop my toes off, I couldn't, if, unless I recant my faith, I'd say, I can't do that. It's good. I don't have to the Holy Spirit would give me the power to do that. It isn't me anyway. That's how the disciples did it. It wasn't that they were great or grand or need to be elevated into some holy state. The Holy Spirit came on them. And when they said, I'm going to saw you in half lengthwise, they said, bring it on because I'm not turning my back on the, on the Father. The power of the Holy Spirit on us. Now here's the point, And I'm going to turn your seats up to your normal uplock position as we're landing. The Holy Spirit... The job of the Holy Spirit isn't just so we can pray in tongues. Now, growing up, that was what I thought it was because that's what we did. That's what you were supposed to do. Now, keep in mind, it isn't that, and we'll talk maybe talk about it someday. Absolutely, there's biblical, ample biblical, Paul said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. So there's ample biblical evidence for this. But, but hear me say this, that isn't the point of the Holy Spirit. The point of the Holy Spirit is to give you the power to be my witnesses. It's almost like saying that the steam in the engine, okay, is there just to honk the horn. Okay? It can. <laughs> you know. But if we think that the power of the Holy Spirit is just to honk my horn, just so I can toot in tongues, I've missed the point. The power of the Holy Spirit is big is is there. Don't it's there. You have to honk the horn sometimes. But the power of the Holy Spirit <laughs> is bigger than that. It is to power the entire engine. <laughs> the entire of who we are. That's what the steam of the locomotive is for us. The power of the Holy Spirit is to be my witnesses. And and hear me say this, I'll take it a step further. The, the reason that we can know this is that Paul says, I pray in tongues more than all of you, but if you don't have love, then it's like a clanging symbol. And how many of us have been around that? It sounds loud and uncomfortable the fruit of the spirit by the way when you see the word fruit that means proof okay the proof of an apple tree isn't the branches it's the fruit that's proof i want to know if that's an apple tree are there apples the fruit of the spirit is what love singular not plural by the way the fruit of the spirit is love so when the holy spirit comes on me the proof of that is is my life going to be a, a living example of giving up everything that that is in my, just so I can, one person, I can write one book to one person only, that I'm so obsessed with the power of the Holy Spirit on me that, that I'll go to Haiti, that I'll go to Africa, that I'll go to Columbia, Tennessee, that I'll go to my neighbor's house because the power of the Spirit is on me. And as a church, as as individuals and as believers, it's my hope that we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that we are making an impact on the community in front of us and the world around us. He might ask us to do dumb stuff, crazy stuff. And we're okay with it because the Holy Spirit is all over us. And we obviously, there's got to be wisdom, and we'll talk about those things, but I'm just, I feel it like I've never felt it before that God is up to something unique and special with what he's called us to do. I have no idea what it is. We'll see him for the details we'll go to him for the details we got the big picture in front of us i believe i mean if i were to paint the picture i don't think i could paint it big enough or grand enough so we'll stay here and we'll study the word and we'll encounter him through his scriptures and through what he has to say to us and we'll let the spirit lead us we've seen some of it already you know ben leaves in a couple weeks for three months to haiti Michelle's leaving i'm leaving i mean who knows where greg's going um God is is wrecking all of our lives for the good. And you know what? I said we're going to land. One more. Philippians 3. Because here's the thing. Here's how this really works in our lives. Paul says this. I almost don't want to read this because it's going to convict me. Paul says this. He says, what is more... We sang this just a few minutes ago. I consider everything a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. And I have in the margin poop. Because that's what he wrote. He wrote the modern day equivalent of our word crap. It was crass and it was, but it's what it was. And here's what he's saying. Not just the bad stuff, the good stuff. Those things have a way of distracting us. My comfort here, that can distract me. The things that God blesses me with can become a distraction. Church can become a distraction from Christ Jesus and my relationship with him. Sister, says, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. And man, isn't that great news for all of us? that it isn't about me, my works, me being good enough, but his righteousness, (coughs) being clothed in his righteousness, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, that comes from God and is by faith. And listen to this, verse 10. I want to know Christ. I don't want to know about Christ. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in death, And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. The word witnesses, by the way, power to become my witnesses, is the word marty, M-A-T-R, M-A-R-T-Y. It's where we get our modern day word for martyr. I give you power to be my witnesses, to be my martyrs. It was quite literal to them. And guess what, gang? It's quite literal to us in that, I don't know if you're aware of this, don't mean to bring you down, but we're all dying, okay? You are every day step one step closer to dead. What are we willing to die for? What are we willing to live for? And the great news is I don't have to go out and do it on my own strength. He's going to give us the power with the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and to live and to die for him. Those things, my house, my car, my things, they're crap compared to the surpassing knowledge of a relationship with christ and what that would do in our lives and the truth is, is if we really get it, and we really sink in when well, we'll go do dumb stuff like we'll go to haiti for three months like when you get it you go and do stuff that is all for god <laughs> you go do stuff that says it's rubbish to me and i and keep in mind i'm not putting any pressure i want i just want to be clear that this is not a oh, okay i gotta go quit my job see the spirit for the details Trust the Holy Spirit for the details,, yeah. and know this that there's sometimes there 's the in between there 's the and I know some of us in this room, I just walk through it the I know i 'm not here forever i don 't know where i 'm supposed to go, and we 'd say, what in those moments you really lean on the Lord because you 've got nothing else to lean on, and I believe it beyond anything else that he gives us those times, so that we do lean on him, and so that we 're prepared for it when we get to what 's next for us, because we 've built our faith during that period, yeah. so to that I say, conduit, let us be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Let us go out and be witnesses for him. A witness, all we do is we tell the truth about what we have seen. Follow witnesses. If you've ever been in any sort of judicial proceedings and a witness comes up, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. Let's pray. The kids are crazy. Let's pray for them. We're done, guys. Father, thank you so much for your words for us today. Your words that were written 2,000 years ago that are still 100% appropriate and applicable for us today. And you said that we could ask you for anything that's in your nature, in your name, and you would give it to us. Lord, this morning we ask for you to give us greater things in this city, greater than the things that we saw in the Bible, in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world. We ask for greater things not buildings, not success, but greater things, that you might bring glory to the Father through those things. Might we be focused on eternity, God, that we are dying, but we are going to obtain a resurrection from the dead. It's not over at that point. You've defeated it. And then our relationship with you in eternity that we can look back on these times and tell the war stories with joy, seeing those things that you did for us in our lives. Holy Spirit, baptize us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. Gang, any questions? Jim? Um, I got a real quick announcement. If your kids are in our class, okay, you'll want to know this. They have homework this week to take home. It's going to be so cool. Um, <laughs> Their homework this week is if they could ask God one question, what would it be? And when they've written that, when they've got that question down, and you've got to do some great...